Hi, listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Hey everyone, just a heads up that this episode contains a few topics that could be difficult or activating for some folks. We reference sexual assault, self-harm, and thoughts of suicide. If you decide to listen to this episode, do what you need to care for yourself. It might mean listening with a support person or reaching out for help. You can always call the National Suicide Prevention Line at 1-800-273-8255 or text HELLO to 741-741. This past year, Hope Edelman, author of the groundbreaking book Motherless Daughters, released a new book entitled The Aftergrief, Finding Your Way Along the Long Arc of Loss. When I first heard about the book, I wondered if she meant after grief, as in after grief is over, but I kind of thought no way, because Hope gets it. She gets that grief isn't a phase that ends. So when I got my copy and saw that after grief is written as one word, it made sense. Hope writes about the after grief as a phenomenon, a state of being where grief has a place in our lives and no longer feels like something that needs to be rooted out, eradicated, or gotten over. It's just become a part of us. But this episode is not about Hope Edelman, and it's not about her new book. Although, stay tuned, because I do hope to have her back on the show to talk all about it. This episode is about Molly, and it's about Molly's mom, Benita. It's about being a high school sophomore and getting a ride to school from your mom, who is also your best friend. It's about a rainy, gray Portland morning in the winter of 2003, a morning that would become a devastating dividing line in Molly's life. Molly's mom died on that ride to school of a heart attack. Molly and I met soon after that day when she joined a peer grief support group for teens at Dougie Center. She also went on to become a volunteer group facilitator a few years after she closed from that teen group. Now, Molly's in her 30s and a lot has changed. We talk about the early days of grief, the times that felt heavy, dark, and totally overwhelming. We also talk about how hard Molly's work to create more light in her world, and how that light comes from knowing herself, knowing what she needs, both in her grief and in her everyday life. In a strange way, the light also comes from the deep knowing that grief is permanent, and in that permanence, she can find peace and an ongoing connection with her mom. Molly, I'm so excited to have you on Grief Out Loud today. We've we've known each other for many years, and it's just, I don't know, it just feels really gratifying to have this conversation with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So introduce us to your mom. Tell us a little bit about her. What do you remember about her? My mom, she was an amazing woman. Her name was Benita Marie Hawken. The first thing that comes to mind is just her her physical appearance which was pretty unique. She was only 4'10". She had beautiful brown skin. She was half Filipina. She had a strong voice, maybe similar to mine. 
she was really just a a strong, tough, loving woman um, and my best friend. And you were in high school when your mom died. So you got to know her as a kid and you got to know her as a teen and our, our knowing and our relationship with our parents and other family members, it, you know, it changes so much as we grow up. And I, I just wonder for you, like, how did you think about her as a kid and, and how do you think about her now? And has that shifted in any way? I think as a kid, I knew my mom really well, even as a child and as a teenager, we spent so much time together. I really was with her most of the time when I wasn't in school or with friends. So I don't think much has changed, I guess. I think I see her very similarly now as I did then. I mean, I also, I only knew her when I was a child and as a teenager, you know, and I don't know the person that she would have been now in my adulthood. So I think I, I don't know, I think I see her pretty much the same. I have a different appreciation for her now. She was tough on me. She expected a lot of me. I knew then when I was a child that that was important and I appreciated it, but I appreciate it even more now. In what way, in terms of her being like hard on you, how do you appreciate that in your current day? She made me who I am. She made me a hard worker like she was. She pushed me to be the best that I could be. She died when I was a sophomore in high school. I went to a a private college preparatory Catholic high school and it was not easy. And at that time in my life after she died, I didn't really care about anything but I pushed through my high school years for her to make her proud because I knew that's what she would have wanted for me. I had to work full time while I was in college and it took me seven years to get my bachelor's degree, but I pushed through that too. And I think a lot of that came from her and what she taught me. And, you know, she had expectations of me to get straight A's and to be the best in my class and to be the best on the baseball field. I think I still try to be the best that I can be today. And that's that's because of what she taught me. She seems like she was such a force at 410. <laughs> <laughs> she was. The other thing I wonder about too, when, when someone dies when we're so young, as we grow up, sometimes we learn things about them from other family members or our person's friends. And just wondering, is there anything you've discovered about your mom since she died? Unfortunately, no, not really. She was the youngest of seven children and She and my dad were from the Midwest originally. They were from Illinois. So my family is sort of all spread apart. All of her, most of her siblings have passed away. My, her parents passed away when I was a baby. So I don't have a ton of connection to her family members. My dad doesn't talk much or any about her really, unless I specifically ask and I don't like to press him. So I don't. So no, there's not, there's not a ton that I've learned about her since she passed away other than things that I've realized on my own. Mm. I did discover a couple years back that one of her close friends blames her employer for her death, just for overworking her. There may be some validity to that, but I ultimately have learned in the last couple years of my life and my relationship to work and stress and anxiety that, uh, that we make our own decisions in that regard. And I've tried to change who I am in that in that respect and sort of separate myself from stress and anxiety related to work. As you're talking, it seems like there's ways that you just you keep learning from your mom and from her life, whether it's where to push yourself or where to set some boundaries. 
so yeah, just interesting in the way that like her parenting kind of lives on through you. Yeah. Um, the last two or three years especially have been pretty transformative. I went through a separation and divorce with my husband since then. I've really tried to focus on myself and my growth and sort of understanding my grief and my pain, learning from it, improving myself and and just making the most of my life in general. And so I want to talk a lot more about that, but I also want to take us back to, you know, when you were a teen, when your mom first died and you were with her the day that she died, she was driving you to school and I imagine she was on her way to work as well. And you know, one of the things I hear from a lot of people is I can't get that, those images out of my mind. I can't get the sounds out of my mind and wondering how, how did you process all that you witnessed that day that she died? Um, I don't even think I can speak about it in the past tense that I processed it, but that I am continually processing it. It's been difficult and it's, it has come in different phases for the first few years after she died, I, I think I was convinced that this was all just some awful nightmare and that I would wake up from this and my mom would be alive and I would continue on with my life as I expected it. And I think over the years, I have gained more acceptance that this is reality. As far as the specific memories of that day, I have quite a bit of trauma with regard to sirens and ambulances and hospitals. There's a part of me that blames the paramedics and wishes they had done more. I don't know that I will ever fully be able to process the the trauma of those specific details, you know, the ambulance and, and the hospital that day, but I try. And at least I'm aware of it now. I know anytime I have to go to a hospital, I have to mentally prepare myself for the lights and the smells and all the sensory things that take me back to that day that she died. And and with your love of the outdoors and some extreme sports, you've had a number of visits to the hospital yourself as an adult. Yes, I... <laughs> I do. Uh, I do partake in some pretty, uh, pretty dangerous sports, and I've had plenty of injuries, and I've had plenty of visits to the hospital. There have been a couple times that were especially difficult for me to be in a hospital. One of my best friends in high school, after my mom had passed away, she was raped, and I went to the hospital with her. And it, this was the same year that my mom had died, and I remember forcing myself to be there for her because she needed me, but it was really hard. In more recent years, my ex-husband's mother, my ex-mother-in-law, was hospitalized multiple times, and I had to be there for him, and that was difficult to be in the hospital and to see her, his mom, not doing well. It brought back a lot of those memories, but hospitals and ambulances and lights and sounds are all just part of life and part of dealing, so I'll just continue to learn to deal with those things. This just popped in my mind. So maybe it's a weird question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. But I I was thinking that, you know, there's so many different ways that people die and they often get typecast as like better or worse or good or bad. And I hear, so say someone dies from 
a long-term illness. And there's a lot of like, I'm so glad I was there with them when they died. Like there's meaning oftentimes for people or I, I couldn't get back there in time to be with them, you know, at their bedside. And then if it's a, a sudden death, an unexpected death, there's often this idea if you're there, it's it's worse in some way. And I just wonder like, what does it mean to you or what did it mean to you that you were with your mom when she died? There was and still is a big part of me that was, that is grateful. I'm grateful to have been there with her. I wasn't by her side and I regret that. I stood in the rain looking into the ambulance as the paramedics tried to revive her and they repeatedly told me to stay out of the ambulance. So that was difficult. That is difficult to process. I would have wanted to hold her hand and really be there with her. But even though I wasn't, I'm just grateful. It it wasn't it wasn't a pleasant morning. We were we were fighting. It was finals week and she usually was my alarm clock in the morning, but she didn't know that I had school that day. So she didn't wake me up and I woke up late and that was why she ended up driving me to school, which she didn't usually. So it wasn't a great morning, but nevertheless, I'm, I'm very glad that I got to spend that last morning with her. I also at times have wondered whether she would have died if, if she hadn't driven me to school that day. And thinking about that still brings up a lot of tenderness right now. Yeah. So we're sitting here in 2021 and this weekend is going to be the 18 year anniversary since your mom died. Thinking back to being a sophomore in high school and carrying all of what you just described of being there that day with your mom and just the the sheer fact of her being gone from your life in her physical form. This is a long way of me asking like what was it like to be a teenager and grieving and and this is the second part of the question, which is, what were you aware of needing in the moment? And what did you only know you needed looking back on it? So what it was like, it was awful. I, it was dark. It was by far the most difficult thing I've been through in my life. Um, and, I, and I suspect that I will ever experience. Um, I remember immense anger. I was completely careless and reckless. I just, with losing my mom, losing my best friend, I, I had nothing else to live for, it felt. I had nothing else that mattered. I cared about nothing in my life, especially myself. The only thing I suppose I cared about was not wanting my family to be in more pain. I felt completely empty and I wanted to hurt in any other way. That's, that's what it was like then. I, I recently, a few months back, opened a notebook of poems and songs that I had written. I took up music after my mom died as one of my many ways of coping with my grief. But anyway, I opened this notebook recently. On the pages were not only devastating words about how dark and empty I felt and how much pain I was in, but also blood splattered all over the page. The blood on the page was a reminder that I wanted to hurt so badly in any other way. I never tried to kill myself. I thought about it a lot. I never could have. 
I wouldn't have been able to do that to my dad and the rest of my family to leave them behind. But I did cut myself sometimes, not with the intention of dying, but with the intention of feeling something different. And it was shocking to me now. It made me proud of myself. It made me sad for that little girl. Um, and it made me really happy that I'm still here today. And it sounds like as you're talking now, like opening up that notebook just reminded you of just how how much you were struggling and how much pain you were in. And then also like a, a sense of pride of having survived, of, of being here today. Yeah, it was shocking. And I am very proud that I survived those years and that I'm here today. And my life now is amazing. I, I still miss my mom every day. I still wish she were a part of my life and that I could share the things with her that I experienced today. But I'm so happy and so happy to be alive. And Molly, thinking about folks who might be listening today and, and have the honor of hearing your story and, and getting a window into what it was like to be you know, a teen being you and grieving your mom. Do you have a sense of, I, I can just imagine people being like, well, what did you need? <laughs> like what, what, what should adults have been doing to like help you or fix you or save you from that situation? I'm just wondering if you do have any thoughts about that as a teen of like what you needed, what you could have accessed or didn't, didn't have access to that would have been helpful. I knew then that I needed my dad and that he needed me. And I don't think I knew much more than that. It was a blessing that I attended a religious high school because at that point in my life, I think I needed anything to grasp onto, any amount of hope. At the time, I believed in God and I believed in heaven and that my mom and I would be reunited someday. I'm not religious anymore and I don't believe in God, but I do believe that my mom is always with me and that we will be together in eternity. I actually have a tattoo about that. Looking back, I don't think that there was anything else that I needed that I didn't have. I had the Dougie Center, which was hugely important. It was absolutely necessary for me to know that I wasn't alone in my grief. I also learned through attending the Dougie Center that Teens like me had lost ones they loved to suicide. And I think in large part that helped me push forward through my pain. Now, almost 18 years into my grief, I have a far better understanding of the things that I need to cope and to survive. I need therapy. I need good friends. I need music. I need art. I need the outdoors, I need sports and activity and writing and talking about everything. I talk about everything all the time. And that's a huge part of my mental health journey and survival, just to get this all, all of these, all, all of this pain and all of this grief and all of these feelings that I've harbored for so many years to just let them out as often as I can. You mentioned that you attended, you know, a group for teens at the Dougie Center. And that's how you and I originally met. And just wondering, like, looking back, I know you said it was really important to know you weren't alone and to maybe see some of the adults and our, you know, our volunteers who had also had someone die when they were a teen. And what else about being, what else do you remember about being part of the group? I remember it was scary at first. I wasn't super outgoing at that point in my life. I remember feeling hopeful about it. 
just to have somewhere to go, anywhere to go to talk about my mom and what I was feeling. It was also really nice to be able to do something with my dad that had anything to do with my mom. We had separate groups, his adult group and my teen group, but it still felt like an activity that we did together that maybe brought us closer together at that time. It was relieving to have a place to go to talk, to be around like-minded people who had lost somebody who were grieving. I don't think, in fact, I'm, I'm pretty certain I would not have had that otherwise. I would have felt entirely alone. I didn't know anyone in my life who had lost somebody like I did. Hearing other teens who had lost a loved one to suicide was probably a major part of what kept me alive in those years. That and just not wanting my family to hurt more than they already were. I remember coming to group with varying emotions and intentions. Sometimes I would be very quiet. Sometimes I would be outspoken. Sometimes I was calm and collected and other times extremely emotional, which I suppose sounds like how I'm living my life today. (laughs) Uh, I also have to mention, I remember thinking how cool you were something about how you carry yourself, your style, and that you rode a bike. <laughs> I thought I thought you were pretty badass. I still do. <laughs> yeah, that's what I remember. So another thing I've been wondering about lately is, you know, we have a lot of guests on the show who have uh, made documentary films, or they've written books, or they've started podcasts, or they've done something really like big and public with their grief. And when you were growing up and maybe even now, did you ever feel any pressure like internally or externally to like do something big because this huge loss had happened in your life? Like, I don't know if that makes sense as a question, but it, it totally does. So what you're saying is I should get my act together and write a book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, no, I, I have never felt any external pressure to do anything with my grief specifically. I, and I, and I don't feel any internal pressure to do anything with my grief specifically, but I do feel an internal pressure to just do big, great things in general. I think to some extent, that's always been part of who I am. You know, when I was a little girl, I wanted to be the first woman to play in the major leagues Um, I wanted to be, then I wanted to be a professional surfer before I had ever even surfed a wave in my life. Um, You know, I've always, I've just always reached for the stars, I think. So I still have that, but I don't think it's necessarily because of my grief. And I don't feel like I have to do anything with my grief. Having experienced such a sudden loss at a young age gave me a perspective on life that I wouldn't otherwise have. I really, really try to live my life to the fullest. I really believe that I could be here for another 60 years or I could be here for another 60 seconds. Mm. Watching my mom die suddenly when I expected her to live a full lifetime and so did she, I think, really changed my outlook on life. So in that sense, I feel pressure, a good pressure to just make the most of every single moment. But uh, as far as doing something specifically with my grief, writing a book or making a documentary film, I don't feel any pressure to. That's not to say that I never will, but I don't feel like I have to. 
You mentioned how when you were a teen, the, the grief felt really dark and really heavy. How, how would you describe your grief now? I think in recent years, I realized more that my grief is permanent, that it wasn't just something that happened to me a long time ago that I processed as a teenager and mended from. Over time, I've learned that it will come in waves and those waves aren't consistent, but I've learned to expect them and to handle them better. I've learned to be prepared for those random earth shattering moments. Grief to me now means surviving and making the most out of this life that I have. It means constant self-reflection and growth, trying to understand my pain and how it has guided my decisions and my personality and my relationships and how to, how to cope with my grief and not let my pain negatively affect my life and my relationships. It means having the right kind of people in my life who are positive influences and who either understand or at least respect my grief and who accept me for who I am with all of my pain. So in a sense, you've, you've become that championship surfer, just surfing <laughs> the waves of grief. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, indeed. I was struck by when you said, you know, I need people in my life who even they may not necessarily understand my grief, but they respect my grief. And how do you know that that's happening? How do you know that you're, you're around people who are respecting your grief? That one took me a long time to learn, you know, as somebody who's grieving and will be forever grieving. I don't know personally a ton of people who can directly or really deeply relate to my feelings and my experience of losing my mom. But there are many people who have been close friends and family members who, while they don't understand, they try to, and they respect that I might have a random bad day, that I might break into tears out of nowhere, that I have anger and certain faults that I may not have otherwise had, but I have these because I carry a lot of pain. I suppose I know when someone respects my grief through the way that they treat me and accept me. You know, I don't necessarily need to be able to talk to everybody about my mom and about my grief. If some, if a friend of mine accepts me for who I am in every way, then they are respecting my grief. With the 18-year anniversary coming up this weekend, what what are you going to do? I don't have any plans around the anniversary specifically. I'm going snowboarding as usual. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do plan to FaceTime with my sister on Sunday, but that's sort of a coincidence. Mm. I'm sure sure given the day um, and that we'll both be thinking about it, I'm sure we'll talk about my mom. Other than that, I don't have any major plans. Typically on my mom's birthday or the anniversary of her death, I don't make big plans and I do that on purpose because because of the waves, you know. I don't know what to expect. It might be a perfectly normal, beautiful day. I might be a complete wreck and not be able to 
get out of bed, you know? So I don't typically make plans, but I do usually go get outside. I like to be in the mountains, especially because while I don't believe in a Christian heaven, I am spiritual and believe in unicorns and magic and stuff. And, and I believe that when I'm in the mountains, I'm closer to my mom. Seems like over time, the unpredictable nature of grief has become predictable. Like you can plan on the fact that it's going to be unpredictable. And so it doesn't make a lot of sense in your situation to make some specific plans. Yes, I'm pretty spontaneous. So I generally don't like making plans anyway. So you mentioned that you have a tattoo in honor of your mom. Are there other ways that you carry her with you in your kind of day-to-day life? I mentioned earlier, spiritually, I believe my mom is always with me. I came from her. She's part of me. I'm part of her. I carry her with me in my thoughts. I miss her every day. She's always on my mind and in my heart. As I'm experiencing life, going through the motions day to day, I often think about her and what she would have thought about this or what she would have wanted for me. You mentioned my tattoo. That's that's another important part for me. It's, it's a admittedly a pretty bad tattoo, but the meaning is what's important to me. I thought about it for, I think, six years at least. Six years after she died is when I got it, and I've been thinking about it since she died. It's birds taking flight. I'm not sure what kind of bird they are, but birds taking flight, and it says... Uh, in Tagalog, which is the native Filipino language, translates to eternally. And to me, it just means that my mom and I are together eternally in life and in death and wherever we go after this. The reason I decided to get the tattoo in Tagalog is um, to, sh- to show my mom that I'm proud to be a quarter Filipina. And the reason for that, <laughs> my mom and I got along really well. We I've mentioned several times we were, we were best friends. We spent a ton of time together. We rarely fought. We rarely disagreed. So on the few occasions when we did disagree, it was devastating to me. And one of those was she was helping me with a project. I think I was in grade school, maybe fifth grade or possibly sixth grade. And it was about my family lineage. And I had asked her a question. I don't remember what the question was, but I asked her a question and I asked it in a way that implied to her that I was ashamed that her family was Filipino. And I didn't mean it that way. And, and, I, and I felt so bad and I still feel bad about it. So I decided when I got the tattoo that that was important to me to, to show her that, that I am really proud of that. Well, Molly... Yeah, I'm a little out of words right now because it's just, it's such an honor to have been with you in those early days of your grief and to have watched and witnessed from afar as you have grown and transformed and put so much work into yourself and into carrying on your mom's legacy and into, into taking care of yourself. So I'm just, yeah, I'm just so much gratitude for our time together today and for and for you and just all that you have yeah, all you've done to survive and to to be here. So thank you. Thank you. And I want to say thank you to you as well. I really believe that in those years, in those darkest years, that I would not have survived without the Dougie Center. And I mean that wholeheartedly. And I am forever grateful for the support that I got through you and through the Dougie Center. And I'll be I'll be forever grateful. So thank you. And thank you for having me. This has been this has been really nice. 
All right, everyone. I think we better wrap up before I start crying. So we're going to wrap up this episode. Thank you again, Molly, for being on the show. And to listeners out there, thank you for being part of our community, for sharing the show with those that you think might be helped by it, for emailing me to let me know what the show means to you, for your suggestions, for topics and guests. I just really appreciate all of that. You can always reach me at griefoutloud at dougie.org. Or you can go to D-O-U-G-Y forward slash grief out loud to hear all of our past episodes. So thanks so much for listening and we hope you'll join us again next time.